0: That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by Codify, a California benefit corporation. Visit Codify at www.codifi.com
1: ancient tools and burials plants and seeds neanderthals
2: welcome to the archaeological fantasies podcast episode 68 i'm your host sarah head and i'm joined today by my co-hosts ken fader and jeb card today we're discussing the polynesian connection did prehistoric polynesian sailors make it to the east coast did they bring chickens and take sweet potatoes home with them? What does an actual controversy look like within the archaeological field, and how do archaeologists handle it when we're presented with evidence? Get ready to think critically.
1: You will see are a staple of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't
2: do Hey, everyone, and Minnesota. welcome to the Archaeological Fantasies podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I am joined today by my co-hosts, Ken Fader and Deb Card. How's it going, guys?
1: It's going great, except right now I've got an airplane flying over my house. So for our next podcast, I'll try to redirect the air traffic so we don't get that background noise. Yeah. Well, I
3: can't hear it. I can't hear I it, so say. maybe it's my f- <laughs> I can't hear it, so maybe it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> but not that that means anything. So, um, uh, we're enjoying lovely February weather, you know, uh, 70 degrees and high Mm -hmm. winds and tornadoes and such. I mean, you know, that's normal for February in Northern United States.
1: Oh yeah. For thousands and thousands of years. Yeah.
3: No, 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 no worries. It
2: was guys. It was 80 degrees when I went to the zoo on Friday,
1: 80 degrees in DC. pretty messed up. That's pretty messed up. We've got, We've got, uh, we've got the, the daffodils and crocuses are coming up in February here. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah.
2: The daffodils that they planted in the little, in between the roads here are all blooming now. And I'm just like, well, that's pretty. I keep thinking well, it's
3: March. This is fine. Everything is fine. Everything
1: is fine. It's just situation normal. Absolutely. Yeah, you know,
2: whatever. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so today uh, we're going to talk about some things that may or may not have been affected by global climate change. Um... We're going to talk about some... We've talked about diffusionism on the show before and and why we do and don't like the idea Well, we don't like the idea, but why it's not a great idea. But people have emailed and asked if we could talk about actual controversies that are had within the archaeological community by actual professional archaeologists. And we've discussed some, and uh, this is another one that I thought we could touch on, which is the Polynesians making it to the Americas um in the prehistoric past.
1: Right. And and in the <laughs> relatively
3: and the relatively recent past too. Right. Yeah, in yeah. a 1000
1: yeah. years or so. Yeah, yeah. And remember that this this actually was a real big thing with uh, Tor Heyerdahl and his Kantiki experiment back was that in the 50s or 60s in
3: the 50s 50s, late 40s and 50s and he was arguing to the
1: other direction right Right. he
3: was he was arguing for peru the other way well higher so interestingly higher doll and i I don't want to derail but we already are um higher interestingly one of the things that is often really minimized about him is that his stuff was not his later stuff but early on he was actually a lot closer to some of the stuff we often rail about because most people are like well he was wrong about Peru but maybe the other way and he got in a boat and that's awesome and there was a TV show or a movie right. um he actually did talk about whiteness early on when he was younger he talked he talked in more hyper diffusionary terms did he? Okay. Uh, of the sort that I, I don't have the book with me maybe for the show notes but it's something like Thor Heyerdahl and the and the uh, the atomic age or something I, I ran, ran to a few years ago that pointed this out and in fact there were Maps and, and labels for maps and things that were used, and this is right after World War II, in a German edition or a European edition that were not used in an American edition uh, for reasons that I think you can guess. Sure. Um, but, I mean, he kind of abandoned that. and He was very young when he did that. Um, but, yeah, there's some interesting underpinnings to some of that that uh, – <laughs> But nonetheless, it, it, yes. that, it still is usually more benign than a lot of the things we right. often talk about.
1: And Heyerdahl, actually, he was um, a talking head. He was interviewed in the, the BBC Horizon response to um, Von Doniken. So it was the case of the search for ancient astronauts, a case of the ancient astronauts. And he he says quite clearly that, that, uh, tr- that um, um, folks living all over the world – in, in what are you know non western societies are far smarter than people in western societies and were ca- perfectly capable of carving the stones on Easter Island and they so he he speaks out very strongly against ancient astronauts ancient aliens yeah the, clo- the closest the closest
3: he ever got to 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 that i would say other than initially very early on the closest he ever got to that was when he was also trying to argue for egypt he liked the idea that the boats of, right yeah, and that one fell apart in them. I mean, the raw boat just like just literally disintegrated in the Atlantic because, right. as we're going to see, ocean currents matter, mm-hmm. um, right. and and that's that's one of the reasons why we're talking about this uh, today. And even then, that would only be if you go with the old timey uh like grafton elliott smith like oh egyptians were white or or flinders petrie egyptians were white blah blah which i don't i have not read hired closely enough if he ever said that i I suspect he didn't actually i don't know um just you mentioned you mentioned eric you mentioned eric um yeah yeah, no apparently they just republished a book of his that in english that he had done in 2011 uh on on the maya
1: (laughs) how was it can you i don't know you, i'm not can i can't
3: you, tu- i can't touch that <laughs> you
1: can't
3: hardly wait to get one of those right just- uh no um i think that's not unlike superman and kryptonite except oh. not like the, not except not the kryptonite that hurts because that would give it power but more like the one that like there's the one it was a superman 3 where it makes him drunk nice. <laughs> it would probably be closer to that anyway i don't oh, want to diverge i just All i just right. i just saw that he did an entire myocentric book. but go like oh well that's lovely that's lovely.
2: Well, you know, it's you it's know. time to publish it. You know, what five years after 2012?
3: Well, that's apparently the thing. Is apparently it was written with all the 2012ness, and I'm like, wow, that's yeah. some, that's some smooth that's some smooth moves there. <laughs> good, we good specifically job, we specifically did not put a 2012 article, although we probably mentioned it once in Lost City Found Pyramid. For that reason, it yeah. has an ex has a literal expiration date. There you it go. in there fact go. is. A literal expiration date.
1: <laughs> Take it off the shelf.
3: All right. So but anyway, bring anyway, it back
2: around. Right. Um. So we've talked about now that this kind of hits on two topics that we have gone over with the diffusionism being one of them and the other one being independent invention. Right. And <clears throat> that will come in later when we talk about the boats. But the two strongest pieces of evidence, I think, um, for for Polynesian contact with the Americas is the sweet potato and well it was the chicken but i think we've kind of blown that one out of the water but this polynesian contact thing and i want our listeners to be aware of this this is one of those things that um we do discuss as an academic field and and as professionals because it is possible but is and not super interesting. It's that's super interesting, interesting because yeah. it's so, it's like it, 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 it was so close to maybe actually happening, but yeah. we don't have any really hard evidence to support that it did happen. So just because see, it could happen doesn't mean that it did.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the thing. This is all about evidence. Um, you will see, especially in the, the popular treatments of, of this story in newspapers online. And even among those people who are supporters of this notion that the Polynesians got to the got to, to South America, is that they keep getting back to if we say, well, we don't, we are skeptical, we're not sure there's sufficient evidence. The argument that you'll hear is, oh, what do you, what you think that those Polynesians could not have found South America? And it, that's a distraction and a deflection because we're no one here is saying they were incapable of. Uh, hey, man, they found a, a dot. Easter Island. die. Yes. Is if anybody's
3: separate... going to find South America, it's the friggin' Polynesians. Right, exactly. they were good and, at that I, sort of thing.
1: And we're not saying, and we're not saying that they couldn't have. This is an argument all about just as just as Sarah said, could have doesn't mean did. The did part is what is the archaeological, what is the genetic evidence that would that's been presented to support the claim that in fact Polynesians made it to South America. That's really all this is about. It's not about could they have. We will stipulate absolutely that, if, as Jeff just said, if anybody could have found South America, it was the Polynesians. But now the mere fact that they could have doesn't mean that they did. Let's look at the evidence. And as Sarah pointed out, we're talking about sweet potatoes here and chickens. I I don't know. You want to talk about the chickens first only because that seems to be – it's got a nice arc to that story where it was presented – it was responded to and now we're sort of sitting here thinking maybe that evidence was not sufficient i mean if it it helps our
3: listeners if it helps our listeners i could have gone and had a really fun time saturday night it's possible but i didn't
1: right right, right. right. Uh, yeah but i think a lot of people having listened to you jeb would say well no it, it's probably maybe it's, not, it's not, possible. not really plausible oh. it's not plausible that jeb could have a all right because right.
3: it's kind of like vikings it's kind of like vikings they could get a little far in but not the whole way <laughs> awesome.
1: exactly, wow. exactly. This is so going with the chicken thing what we're talking about is in, i think it's 2007 alice stories and archaeologist. um excavating a site in, I think it was Chile, found yes, I believe 50, so, 50 chicken bones. And the 50 chicken bones were uh, derived from five individual birds. And it's gallus gallus. It's, it's the regular old world chicken species. Chickens. It's chickens. And the radiocarbon dates that she derived from that site uh, put the site at between 1320 and about 1410. That's A.D. 1320. Which I
3: will say this, as a colonial archaeologist, you will see things like this. Like I deal with um, like styles of pottery and like you see plates. And it's like, you know, if you're seeing something that looks kind of something else and it starts to get really close to contact period, uh, that, I just want to say that's another issue. That's another issue, because if it's really close to contact period, that's not. I would love it not to be that close if you're right. trying to argue for separation. Right, right, it right. doesn't mean it couldn't happen that way. Right. That is entirely possible. It can only be 100 years, but that would be a yellow flag. Maybe well, not a red flag, but a yellow flag. And
2: I think it's important to, to tell people that the reason the reason why we would want a different or an older date is because when you start getting that close to contact, even with the c fourteen there is a margin of error there that can lean right. one way or the other. And if it leans the other way, then it completely, it, it well, puts those chickens into the modern. If they're giving that date, if they're giving that date, Ooh. that
3: I, I suspect that is taking that in consideration. But I agree with you. And and the broader issue is also recognizing. So for example, I work in uh, a number of different things, but one of the things I've done is colonial archeology. span And you will see people who will write about like, oh, this is Aztec and this is colonial period, and they'll say, like, because these are the first colonial bits we find, and they're showing me, like, olive jars from the 15th, like, uh, basically, they're kind of like, if, you're, if you know of like an amphora, amphora, right, uh, storage jar, Um, same sort of thing, like, from the 1570s, because they have types, and there's one that was before the 1570s, one from, like, the 1570s to later, and then a later one, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's, like, this kind of myolica and, like, a middle-style olive jar, and, like, this is colonial because we have colonial bits, and I'm like, this this thing was made 60 years after Cortez burned Tenochtitlan to the ground. In all likelihood, the tail end of what you're calling Aztec in this particular case is probably the early colonial period, and that's a I gave an essay paper about this. And I'm not saying that's what's happening in this case. I suspect it's not because there's other issues here. But right. that's one of these things we have to be very careful about when we're talking about these kinds of topics. Also.
1: So, so Jeff, Jeff, I have a question for you as, a, as a, a scholar working in the colonial period. One of the arguments given by the folks who want to believe, in fact, that Polynesians made it to South America and they brought chickens was that in 15, 1532 – Pizarro reports that chickens are an an integral part of Inca diet. And the Portuguese maybe had uh, um, sailed along that coast maybe 30 years earlier. Is 30 years enough time... The argument being that they were such an important part of the diet, they were so integrated into subsistence, it's impossible that Europeans could have introduced them only 30 years before. Well, the thing I would
3: say, that seems really unlikely and also... I work in Central America. I mean, I'm familiar with South American archaeology. I, I, I don't want to be a jerk, but I probably know South American archaeology better than either of you, but it's not my well, thing. Oh, what
2: yeah. Do do? No that, one's arguing.
3: Um, I would have a hard time with that. It's not like if you go digging, you find chicken bones everywhere at at these sites. I I would have to look into that further, but... That also makes me wonder if it's one of those, we call it a thing in the colonial period when it's really not that thing. I mean, remember, gotcha. the, the the Maya word, I mean, they they would do stuff like, I mean, the, the, infamously, uh, the, you know, they would use words like, uh, you know, for example, a few years ago, uh, Jason wrote a post about this. Um, there was, I think it was the Turkish president, Erdogan, Erd- Erd- I could be wrong about that. He was very happy because Columbus talked about seeing mosques yes, in, yes. In, in the Caribbean. Well, they weren't. That was literally the word that a guy who was from a culture that just was throwing Muslims out of Spain would use for something exotic. You know, it's it's, yeah. Um, They also called these things. They called uh, uh, the Aztec pyramids. They called them towers. Right. They're not really towers, but I could see why you'd call them that. And you get a lot of that. And it goes the other way. The um, the the Yucatec Maya word for um, chicken today actually is gosh, and the reason is gosh is that's short for castellano Ulum, An Ulum is a turkey. And so they uh, called it castellano Ulum, but they shortened it to cash. So basically it means Spanish turkey because they knew what a turkey was because they'd had You're it for right. thousands of years. Uh, and their know. word for chicken is a Spanish turkey because Makes they didn't sense. have any other word for it. I, I, a lot of that happens in the colonial period. I mean, we see words that initially get picked up like casique. You see that all throughout the Spanish world, That's a word from the Caribbean. Once they pick it up in the Caribbean, they assume, well, all Indians, which, of course, is a whole other word that's a problem. Right. uh, That's the whole point, is these words quickly start to get um, thrown out. And even we do this. I mean, we call spear throwers atlatls because that was the first people that Europeans (laughs) ran into that had spear throwers, and they were the Aztecs. But we now call them atlatls. Like, oh, look at this North American atlatl. This North American what? Um, so oh. I think I suspected something like that. I'd have yeah. to look into it, though. I don't. Sure. I don't know that.
2: Well, to be fair, they, they
3: did have. They had muscovy ducks. That was the main. The main domesticates right. in South America were llamas, alpacas, guinea pigs, uh, muscovy ducks. Mm-hmm. So in Central America, there were turkeys.
2: So it's possible that they're finding like duck and duck eggs and. I don't.
3: I, I. I. I don't know the. I don't know those particular Pizarro records.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Right it's, not,
3: right. it's not. It's not something I have looked at carefully enough to be able to say anything further on that.
1: Just, just as, as, as you know, we, since we go off on tangents a lot, this whole not business us. of 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 using words, of misinterpreting words. Um, in in Connecticut, we have the site called Gunjiwam, which um, the traditional explanation is that it's it's an interesting farmstead. It's 19th century, and we have a bunch of French people saying, "Oh no, no, it's ancient." and it was there before Europeans got here okay. and those folks have found a statement in a historical document that dates to the 16 early 1700s about there being a fort in Mystic and the modern these modern folks are interpreting the word fort to mean well it must be a big stone structure where in fact the use of the word fort in those days meant a palisaded village was a fort so it's this misuse of a word assuming a modern interpretation of that word right. is correct and, impl- and applying it Centuries back, you've got to be really careful when you do that. But that's again, I'm not a linguist either, and that's, uh, that's well, there's another issue there.
3: Let me actually, you know, we, we we're coming up on our break. Let me actually give a little kind of story that I think maybe puts some of this in context, and I want to say this straight out. None of us are linguists. <laughs> none of us play linguists on television. And more exactly. importantly, none of us are linguistic anthropologists, which True. is really kind of a different thing. That's really, when we're saying linguists, we're really talking about linguistic anthropologists, which is a whole different, no, well, not whole different, but I know people that bristle when they're called a linguist rather than a linguistic anthropologist. Right. Um, but when I was a long time ago, let's see, um, uh, 23 years ago, When I was in early graduate school and I had to take a core course in linguistic anthropology, um, uh, we had to read various things in graduate seminars. This was a mixed grad-undergrad thing, and I'm selling this all for a reason. It's not just because I'm old. Um, Get off my lawn. But uh, (laughs) – all to be fair, get off my lawn. But – we At graduate seminar, you have to read a book or an article or a set of articles and critically address them. And I ended up with Joseph Greenberg's book on language in the Americas. I think it may later be called Language in the Americas. And he's famous for arguing for basically a large unified – the, the West is where there was one big push of language that most na- Native American languages other than – uh the the last couple like in the aleutians and a few others in the north are all basically unified arguing for one big push early on and then two smaller ones much later he was largely accurate although we now know that it's more complicated much more complicated very early on but his methods were a mess and i took this course with judy maxwell and she very much loved this this part of it because he would take words that kind of sort of sound the same but if you had really loose rules it's like well, this is word whatever that starts with a B for the word arm. Well, over here, there's a word for arm that also starts with a B. It's like, that's not how, that's
2: not how that historical
3: works. linguistics really works. Really? And so Greenberg was really trying to create this unity out of very loose rules. On the other hand, in the grand scheme, he clearly had some interesting insights because his larger scheme wasn't entirely wrong. But he would routinely like link things together that really, if you look at it, don't Really worked that way. And then he'd go to another case and the rules would bend in a somewhat different way. And again, I'm saying this as somebody who read his stuff for graduate school, but I bring this all up because this kind of issue seems to show up a lot. Like, looks the same, is the same, sounds the same, is the same when it comes to hyper diffusion. And, and I've talked about this on the show before. I probably would be considered something of an expert in hyperdiffusion as it actually happens in, for example, colonial context. Like, what if people come across the ocean and really did colonize a place? What would that look like? And the answer is the evidence has to be a lot more specific. You have to have objects that really came from the place. And you have to have stuff that is clearly and also contextually makes sense. And a lot of this stuff often doesn't make sense. So after the break, I think we're going to look at some of these specifics with that as kind of the frame.
1: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't
3: forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will
1: help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Yeah, you get it every time.
0: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: And we are back. So we were talking about chickens. And Ken brought up. So we were talking about chickens. And we were talking about chickens because they were originally used as evidence for contact or possible evidence of contact with the Polynesians with uh South America right. and the California coast yeah that
1: now, was that, the article published in 2007
2: right
3: Yes, and, and I remember being super excited by
1: that yeah. right but that but what happens of course is that it was in 2013 um a much broader analysis of chicken genetics yes um, took place and, and then and we have this
2: is... we've discussed genetics on the show before and we've we, I feel like in that episode, we kind of talked about how genetics are not the end-all be-all, but they can prove a lot of good things. Right. And this is one of those really good things that genetics can step in and help correct. And it, unfortunately, it removes chickens as decent evidence for Polynesian contact. But...
1: Yeah, so it's Vicky Thompson, who's a geneticist, and they looked at, they had 122 modern samples of chickens from Polynesia and 22 archaeological samples And they had genetic information from the chicken bones in South America. And effectively what they figured out was that? You know, I, I think when we had Jennifer Raff on, did we talk about mitochondrial haplogroups? Yes. And when when applied to the 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 settling, the settlement of the, of the Americas, whether it's yes. A B C D and X and those haplogroups are found in, in Native Americans and some of them at least are found in Northeast Asia. So there's that connection. Well, applying a similar kind of analysis, what um, what what Thompson determined was that chickens. In Polynesia, there are two fundamental haplogroups, and they're haplogroups D and E. But the deal is that that D is the most common. If You, you find D in 100% of the, the, the samples from Rapa Nui, Easter Island, were haplogroup D, and, a, and very high percentages of haplogroup D were spread throughout Polynesia. This is both in modern or relatively recent chicken remains and archaeological remains the haplogroup in south america the archaeological sample was hap- was was haplogroup e which apparently is a worldwide that that you find e virtually all over the world and what they did a bunch of, of of mathematical statistical manipulations and came up with these various um, trees, genetic trees, and said that it is far more likely that the chickens in South America result came there from Europe. Yeah. Now that the problem, of course, is that doesn't fit. You, you've got the, the the issue is if you've got radiocarbon dates. The dates, yeah. The dates don't match that because there are no Europeans in South America at that time. A
3: hundred years later, there are though.
1: About a hundred years later, there are, and when you look at the vicissitudes of radiocarbon dating, um, you've you've got to take you've got to consider the possibility that the dates are simply not correct.
3: Yeah, one out of twenty uh, radiocarbon dates of two sigma will be
1: wrong. Right, and so you've got that. There's a, that. Every possibility that if the genetic now, of course, um, Alice Alice Story who. Uh, the original researcher has responded. This is back and forth in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and she says, "Well, they haven't proven that at all because, in fact, the her the, oh she she was highly critical of the fact that most of the samples that were used by Thompson were of modern chickens." And she says, "Well, of course, there's been all this cross contamination, and on and on and on." Um, e- effectively a handful of chicken bones in South America that may or may not not date to before European contact, and the chicken bones don't look like they actually genetically uh, are derived from Polynesian chickens. That kind of evidence is not what I think anybody would be comfortable with as being really strong, definitive evidence that Polynesians made it to South America. Then again, we're not saying they could not have gotten there. We're not saying they weren't capable of it. We're saying that specific piece of evidence is not very strong
3: well and the Nat Geo article you sent actually the final paragraph would be my answer and i'll just simply read it if the presence of pre-columbian chickens is this is a quote uh from the article by um by roth smith for national geographic march 19 right. 2014 Uh, If the presence of pre-Columbian chickens is a good indicator that Polynesians succeeded in crossing the Pacific, the absence of one of their old shipmates, Ratus exulans, the Pacific rat, makes an equally compelling case against it. The Pacific rat is known to have traveled everywhere with their Polynesian hosts. And wherever they landed, they invariably established thriving local rat populations that live on to this day. There are no Pacific rats in South America. I mean, that's, that's the problem. It's the old, well, I've got this Thing that looks like a carving from somewhere else. Oh, do you have their foodstuffs? No. Exactly. Do you yeah. have their wheels? No. Do you have their metallurgy? No. Do you have their genetics? No. But this looks like this.
2: Yeah. The lack of significant pieces of evidence of things that we would expect. Ken and I go on about garbage all the time, but the lack of these things is excellent evidence against an argument. And as just point it Jeff's pointing out, with the lack of rats, I mean, I mean
3: I don't think that that would be 100% against it, but I would not it's feel pretty compelling. making that. I, I would point out, this is really weird, and maybe somebody should look at it, but going farther than that, when you don't... If I was at... And there are actually examples of, of this, and I, I don't think we can get into this, because I don't think we've done enough background research, but there's famously the uh, the La Lawaka head, this little Roman figurine head that was found, I want to say it like a Teotihuacan period site, in uh, in Mexico. And it's a little Roman figurine head. Now, where's the rest? Right. And the fact that it's something very stylistically, obviously, no question, Roman, if it was Samian wear, I would still have problems with it. But the fact that it's like, by the way, this has neon signs that say Roman on it, makes me wonder if we're dealing with somebody who who placed it. I don't think that's the case here. I suspect that the fact that I brought up this is really close to contact is probably relevant. Mm -hmm. But... the rest, the rest of it's not
1: there. Right. I would not have, want to publish that. We have you know we have very, very um very cool and informative models of what it looks like when a group of colonial people enter into an area. I ex my archaeology, my fieldwork is here in New England, and if if we when you when you dig here, you find a very clear point in the stra- in stratigraphy. Where a completely new culture arrives with glazed ceramics, with glass, mm-hmm. with with iron, and it's if you had no his, if you if, if you just kind of if history stopped here in the in the the middle and late 17th century, any archaeologist digging here will recognize immediately that there is substantial and 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 convincing evidence that another group entered into this area with with a new, with different garbage, with different stuff, yeah. with different technologies. And that's what we expect. Yeah, well, again, we look. I've mentioned this before. My dissertation
3: is literally on, I would again be considered an expert on this. That My dissertation is on a first contact or damn near first contact site. Cortez lands in 1519. My site was set up maybe in 1525, probably in 1528. Right. Uh, that's nine years later okay that's you know and europeans entered the area of what's known as el salvador five years at most before before the site i'm talking about so it's basically a first contact site now my site is really obvious there are buildings there are streetways there are metallurgy there's new technologies there's things that are clearly imported but here's the thing we can also identify indigenous villages from the 16th century that are post contact are most of the materials Indigenous, yes, they are. But there's a persistent residue that is not, and other things change. You start to no longer have indigenous religious symbols on pottery because they would have been considered, we know from the historical record, uh, idolatry by the new Christian overlords. So you can tell. Now, could you tell me a 1530 versus a 1500 site? I don't know if you could do that unless there were a bunch of Spaniards there. But can you tell me a 1500 versus 1600 site? Yeah, you can. Even a, even in a rural indigenous village, yes, you can. Well,
1: that's the that's the cool thing too. Is in the American Southeast, um, De Soto's expedition through the Southeast, the entrada from into Florida, spent years. His group spent years in the in the Southeast. You can you can find at native sites. You can actually find brass bells, and you can find pieces of iron sword, and you can find Venetian beads in native context but clearly they are trading with they are they are obtaining these materials from an alien group with a different techno- with different technologies that are moving through the area and again yeah i don't know south american archaeology well enough a handful of chicken bones is really interesting but it's not enough when, especially when, as Jeff says, the radiocarbonate is kind of late, and the ge- and the genetic data don't support the notion that these things came from from Polynesia. But, you know, are we being, are we doubting, Thomas? you're damn right. But that's the way we approach everything.
3: No. and here's well, the thing: I think we're, I think we're actually being a little harsher, almost, because this could actually be like yeah. this is not. Bullshit. I think that's right. why we, we, we've oh, now right. hit our, our drinking game when you when, when we're going to say it mm-hmm. or how long. But uh, it should be kind of like uh, anyway, the secret word was said, but um, or the lack the secret. of secret word. But yes. this is not bullshit. This is actually a plausible concept. Mm-hmm. And when it becomes plausible, it's actually harder to laugh off. So we have to be damn serious about. Yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Well, and Ken made a good segue for us because one of the other objects that is brought up is a, a foreign object is the sweet potato. And there is the argument made that the only – there's there's two arguments that I hear about the sweet potato. And one is that it just floated across the – it just floated across the ocean to other land and just took root and started growing. The argument that a lot of people who are pro-contact use is that it was actually a trade commodity. And this comes back to the linguistics things apparently. And again, I am not a linguistic either. When,
3: whatever well let's 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 get our biases out of the way let's have a show of hands who prefers sweet potato versus like normal potato for the food i, no, I never when they what? offer me
1: sweet potato fries i gag i want oh, french fries no Real sweet potatoes are American delicious
2: oh,
3: i'm
1: kind of a cat on
2: this one
3: you
1: like them no, yeah
2: i love sweet potato fries especially with like I know, some I know some mayonnaise or some who absolutely sauce. love them. Yeah, they're what, good. What kind of sauce? What kind of sauce? I like mine with dill sauce or like the mm. flavored mayonnaise is aioli. I like oh. that.
3: Uh, you know what? That might be okay. It's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm closer to Ken on this one. But yeah, I like a savory no, sweet potato. I don't like a uh, sweet, sweet potato.
1: Fresh, French fries with ketchup.
3: Yeah, I'm bo- <laughs> I am boring that way, but I'm with you. It,
1: yeah,
3: yeah. Anyway, back to they, the actual yeah. science of sweet potatoes. I just thought that that would be something so we all know our biases. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm.
2: I like sweet potatoes.
3: There you go. So, do you believe in Polynesians <laughs> because you, cause you like them? That's where we're going. With, I, right? I, yeah, be- I, guess. I
2: believe in Polynesians because there's evidence they exist. <laughs> um, as far as. Now, the, the sweet potato went from South America to Polynesia, right? To the Pacific Islands? Yes, from South America yeah. to Polynesia. This, the, this po- one is the, the reverse of the chicken. And that's right. and yes. that's where it comes in, because they're like, Oh, this is and obviously you're, saying, that, that, a trade you're trade. saying
3: that's the argument. You're saying that's the argument. Yeah. The argument yeah.
1: is that Polynesians landed, they they made it to South America, right, saw sweet potatoes, said that, hey, we could we could really do well with those rather rather
3: than having had them themselves all the time. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
1: That
2: they got them from the Americas, took them back home with them, and yeah. I guess in the process dropped off chickens. So that yeah. <laughs> that was the ongoing it's, argument. That's, <laughs> that's like, the trade. It's like it sellers of Catan. Well.
3: It's like I'll give yes. you, you know, x number of chickens for sheep and If you
2: if you have sheep, yeah. I have wood. Yes.
1: Now, the, the article that we'll will uh, um, uh, include a link uh, to the article is by Carolyn Roulier in 2013. Again, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and um, they she looked at a whole ton of sweet potato. Now. One of the problems with sweet potatoes from an archaeological, archaeological perspective is, you know, these things do not preserve. Yeah, it's, no, it's really like hard. not like seeds or nut fragments. So the research that she did all involved both um, modern specimens but also herbarium specimens. So these are things that dated back to even the late 17th century. And she had a bunch of stuff that, you know, Captain Cook brought back. So we're looking at, in theory, these are sweet potatoes – um, uh, collected in Polynesia at very earliest contact. So there's been okay. no contamination with you know new batches of sweet potatoes brought in.
3: Though so again, that gets messy, but we'll right continue. Yeah, yeah. It's not perfect. And in
1: any event, it, her model is that sweet potatoes came into Polynesia in three ways. It's called okay. the tripartite model. All right. The first is the sweet potato that in South America is called Kumara, and it's got Almost the identical name. Getting getting into this linguistic argument mm-hmm. throughout Polynesia. This, this is the, this is the stuff that's that's the most controversial because this is dated in uh, to a thousand between a thousand and eleven hundred A.D. Now again, we don't have sweet potato dated to that period. We have an agricultural complex with the the same tools that are found later on historically when they're growing sweet potatoes. So there is that. That That logical jump, where we're saying, well, we don't have sweet potatoes because they don't preserve, but we do have what appears to be the physical manifestations of the same complex that we find historically, and it goes back to a, a, as much as a thousand a d
3: which is um, not it's not it, it is a logical jump, but it is a logical jump
1: yeah, exactly, exactly so, and that's the one that would have had to have made it from South America to Polynesia, obviously before Columbus, before um, Europeans uh, entered South America. However, the, the next two steps, one is called the Camote lineage. That's from Mesoamerica. And then there's the Batata lineage of sweet potatoes, and that's from the Caribbean. And the historical evidence seems to indicate that that second lineage, Camote, actually comes from Mesoamerica and was brought to Polynesia after A.D. 1500 by Spanish galleons. They loaded up with sweet potatoes. They're sailing west across the Pacific, and they're sharing sweet potatoes with Polynesians for the most part towards the western part of Polynesia.
3: And that would and have then- to be after 1570. We can actually detect when they start. The the the, the 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 galleons start going over after Manila is founded by the Spaniards, and we can literally detect when that happens because we start to find Ming porcelains. Like, this is archaeologically oh, okay. detectable, yeah.
1: So that's cool. And then the, the third, this patata, is also in the 1500s. That shows up in Western Polynesia, and that form, that genetically, is most closely related to Caribbean sweet potatoes. And the idea there is that that actually got to Western Polynesia by Portuguese traders, but through Europe. So they're bringing it back to Europe, and eventually huh. it goes the other direction.
3: Hmm. Wow. Um, so like around India and whatnot.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's a well-traveled huh. potato. Uh, so so we're now what what they're suggesting is that there actually were three separate domestication events in the new world at least three for the sweet potato one in south america one in mexico and one in the caribbean and that these are genetically different and that in different ways they make it to polynesia for what we're talking about here the most important is this kumara um that article has a, an amazing map showing the um the, the the directions in which it's hypothesized these went, and if you look at this kumara in South America. Again, getting back to the linguistics, it's kumara or kumar or kumal, and in the the uh, Marquesas, the sweet potato there is called kuma. In Easter Island, it's kumara. In New Zealand, it's kumara. That okay, name so shows that's, up. That's, like, that
3: starts like, to look pretty convincing. Yeah. yeah,
1: and then this kamote, the kamote, the last one from the the um, no, this is from from Mexico, from Mesoamerica. If you look in the Philippines, if you look in China, in Japan, it's called kamote. Sometimes spelled with a C, sometimes with a K, and the same thing in Western in, in Micronesia, it's called batata, which is exactly the name given it by the um uh, but, but in in the caribbean but that was coming in from the other direction and so one when thing I, when we
3: talk about spaniards in the philippines and other places remember it wasn't just spaniards there were tosh collins like basically people that were culturally kind of like the aztecs they were big enemies of the aztecs of Nachulon, who became what were called conquistadores mexicanos basically mexican or indigenous conquerors in florida in South America and in the Philippines. I mean, they oh. became part of the global Spanish empire and they were great settlers. In fact, the best settlers of Northern Mexico to the point where it annoyed the hell out of Spanish settlers because they did better were indigenous, but not from the region. So they were colonists, oh. but not from Europe. But not so European. we don't talk about that in our history books much, but a lot of the people, this is again, my site had a lot of these people, um, a lot of these colonists we not Europeans. There were Europeans or Africans, and there were a lot of indigenous Americans that then were colonists elsewhere and brought all sorts of stuff with them. So keep including that in mind.
1: Indigenous, including indigenous foods.
3: Languages, foods, the Indians. whole thing.
1: Yeah.
2: So, so far we've eliminated the chicken, and now I think we've effectively eliminated the sweet potato. So let's go to break real quick. And when we come back, we will talk about the last big piece of evidence, which are these sewn plank boats. I'm Jessica Uquinto, and I'm the host of the Heritage Voices podcast. Heritage Voices focuses on how CRM and heritage professionals, public employees, tribes, and descendant communities can best work together to protect their heritage through tribal consultation, collaborative ethnography, and indigenous archaeology. Now back to the show. And we are back, and I have... Miss Boak, we did not eliminate the sweet potato because, well, Ken, as you pointed out.
1: Yeah, the, the, the deal here is at least in two of the 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 incidences of movement of the two sweet out of, potato. Two out of three. Two out of three. It's definitely post-contact. We, it's the Spanish and the Portuguese are are pulling this stuff around. And as Jeb pointed out, there may be indigenous Mesoamericans who are in the Philippines who are bringing their indigenous foodstuffs with them. It's just, it's this other this third case this Kumara in which it, again we don't have sweet potatoes that are fossilized we're not recovering those archaeologically in Polynesia but the 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 comp the agricultural complex that's seen by Spanish travelers by 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 Spanish travelers by English travelers by um, colonists in the sixteenth and seventeenth seventeenth and eighteenth centuries for sure. It looks like that's been there for a long time. It's the same complex. So maybe in fact, as much as a thousand years ago, using the same tools, the same agricultural techniques, they are planting sweet potatoes. If that is the case, and we're not saying it definitely we're not saying it's certain. What we're saying is we cannot um reject out of hand the possibility that in fact sweet potatoes made it into Polynesia, especially Eastern Polynesia. Um 500 years before before the arrival of the spanish which well, and this and this content. brings up
3: this brings up an issue that we've we've talked about before that might be that might possibly be most of the people that talk about this are not interested in the friggin sweet potato no matter right. how much they like them with aioli <laughs> the the reason they they are they interested are you know like people will, will they want to argue um are not saying that they are instead arguing for, um, Oh, well, hang on. That means we can say everything is different. We can say everything is, is, is coming from one place to the other. Right. So it's one thing. If it's like, Oh, these people are this, but then you'll be like, what about color symbolism in Mesoamerica and in Asia? What about this? They, it's the old hyperdiffusionism. And this gets yeah. to the notion of, um, I, I i've banged on before about how a lot of people try to just treat antiquity like there's sort of historical time and then once you get past that it's all very flat there's kind of proto-historic flatness and they would want to argue okay well you got sweet potatoes a thousand years ago therefore it's before like your pianistry therefore everything can be back and forth now it's like that's not true at all right so that's uh, that uh, I, I don't know that just bothers me a little
1: no it's no, no, well, no. point about... It, 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 I mean, the important, one of the important things to get out of this conversation is that we are not here saying under no circumstances is it possible for there to have been trans-Pacific contact before Europeans got there. And under no circumstances, we're not saying, and we will never believe that that happened. What we're saying is this has to be evidence-based. And in the case of the sweet potato, it's not a dead certainty that this happened 1,000 A.D., but we're, what we're saying here is that we cannot reject that possibility out of hand. But as Jeb has just indicated, that doesn't mean we – again, there needs to be evidence to show that anything else accompanied the sweet potato. And well, and, and, and
3: things may have, but it's not the things that people care about because right. they want to have hyperdiffusion to right. spread stuff Uh, around and basically to argue for single causes and 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 arguably arguably to reject all kinds of other things right and and on this topic and and people like alice kehoe and others would argue that there's a difference between what they're arguing for limited ties relatively late on specific things versus big broad everything came from asia because it really came from old world and on the one hand that's true on the other hand I'm not an expert in that literature, but I've read some of that literature of people that are arguing for the limited. But then you, not always, but you st- you do sometimes see it kind of start to slide in that direction. Like it does feel a little finding the hyperdiffusion in the gaps, but it, it can't, doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to right. be. It really can just be, I am very interested in these specific
1: things, but sometimes it's not. Well, sometimes it's just a sweet potato. Yeah, yeah,
2: sometimes a potato is just a potato. Um, Which,
1: don't, again, not, not good French fries, so, I mean, who cares?
2: Sweet potatoes are delicious, and they are nutritious, and good for the environment. But anyway.
1: they all,
3: Those last two definitely are true, but I'm also selfish. Sorry.
2: <laughs> right. But, so the last piece of evidence that usually gets brought up, and this is another one of those interesting, but I don't know how far it gets you, details is these sewn plank boats that are that were the main mode of transportation for the polynesians but are only seen in a couple places along the what is that the west coast there of, yeah, mostly mostly california yeah chile. mostly california and there's one yeah. place in chile and, um, and, are
1: sewn plank boats the main i mean are dugout canoes and canoes they are more,
3: they are not i don't know if they're the main they're one of them
1: all right, they're one of one of several. Polynesians had their own. We talk about the age of exploration, and we always think of you know the Columbus and 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 those guys, Magellan. The Polynesians had their own age of exploration before the Europeans ever gotten boats right. and sailed across an ocean. And they were cap- fully capable mariners. Well, and the- I'm,
2: po- I'm, I'm very sure that there were different kinds of boats. It wasn't just like, here's a boat and all boats are this boat. I'm pretty sure that they had like their short distance boats, their long distance boats, their heavy duty boats, their light boats. I yeah. mean, boats are like cars. You don't have one car. You right. have a variety of different types and styles and uh, durabilities. Um, yes. this yeah, so,
1: sports utility boats,
2: exactly. SUVs. This, the particular boat that we're talking Jesus about, Christ. <laughs> an SUV <laughs> boat. <laughs> what? Stop. I'm trying <laughs> to make a point.
3: That was, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
2: you. Um, so this sewn plank boat, and I'm gonna say it wrong, so Jeb, you can probably correct me. It's called a dalca D-A-L-C-A.
3: I no, I have no idea.
2: So we're calling it a dalka boat. And this is it is claimed that the the Chile people copied this style of sewing the planks together from the Polynesians. Um, and if you've never seen a sewn plank boat, um actually they've got a couple in the Smithsonian uh, natural not natural History, yeah, Natural History Museum. They're really neat looking and they're they're really they're really tightly laced together and yes, they treat them. It's not like there's just like holes bored into wood and then, you know, really sloppy laced together. They're they're watertight and they they work with the swelling of the wood. And I think there's some kind of rosin they put on it to fill in the, you know, the leaky bits they're very ingenious and it's it's really clever and I'm like why would you have ever thought to sew two things together when I don't know it would seem simpler to just dig out a tree trunk but apparently they did and well, that's it's like why... it's like nails
3: I mean you, know, you, you take planks and then you like stick them together with little tacks which right. is what you're doing with the European stuff so you Ooh. know it's it's, a, it's yeah. a similar kind of sort right? of solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: And I guess it allows you to use less wood to make a larger object because you can just, like with sewing, you can just stitch multiple pieces of fabric together to get one big piece. So you can do the same thing with the wood. And so this is a, one of the arguments is, is that this was brought over to the Americas along with other things that we have thusly debunked. But a lot of the, like the technique is similar, but not exact. The... Styles are similar, but not exact. And it's another one of those weird linguistic black holes where it's like the words are kind of the same, but not quite. So, you know, this is another one of those. Is the boat, is this really possible evidence or is this another one of those independent, um, independent invention things that we've talked about in the show before where you've got multiple cultures coming up with the same idea. Because it's a logical step in the evolution of a tech. You know, I don't have a lot of wood, but I do have this twine. And if I put this tree resin on it or a pitch or whatever I'm making, I mean, they, they were actually pretty, pretty inventive when it came to, like, the concoctions they could bring together back in the day. You know, I mean, is it just a natural step to go from a dugout canoe to a sewn plank canoe to whatever the next step would have been or does it have to have been handed down from another culture and,
3: and the answer is i think all all the above yeah, i mean sure. that's i think that's why this is a compelling and and in many ways why we are we are we are being a lot more specific i think than we sometimes are because this is again more plausible and it kind of falls i think for a lot of archaeologists sort of like one of these This has not been proven, but I'll consider this.
2: Well, we're being more specific not only because this is more plausible, but because, as I said at the beginning, this is an actual... I mean, it's not like a burn-the-bridges-down controversy, but it is a controversy within the field of archaeology. And as such, this is how we treat it. We have to be... We have to have evidence, and it has to be as airtight as it can be before the greater community is going to accept it. So we can't have something lazily thrown out there and expected to be picked up as evidence we have to chew this over completely and find all of the angles before we can say yes we will accept that as evidence
3: well let's let's look at the flip side of this though we are routinely accused by people that want to have giants and aliens and white people vikings and blah blah (laughs) blah of not wanting to listen to anything that challenges what we say it's like what have we been doing For the last hour is we've been going, you know, I don't think this has probably been proven, but I'll listen to this. If you get me more evidence, I'll believe it. Of course, these things are amenable to the Illuminati satanic conspiracy that pays all of us. Right, right. So we can be charitable in this case, unlike the giants that we – whenever we get the bones, we smash them up, uh, like the good little satanic Illuminati conspiracy agents working for the CIA. That you know, are. somebody's,
2: somebody's going to cut that clip out of this podcast now, Jeb. I hope you're happy with yourself.
3: <laughs> I, don't, I don't care anymore. Yes. I don't fucking care anymore. And the, here's they can, the they thing can of, cut that
1: clip too. <laughs> the, the, the thing here is we've actually talked about this before. Um, when this stuff hits popular media, yeah. Um, it's all – Earth-shaking, the 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 archaeologists are going to have to go back and rewrite the textbooks. And in all honesty, if there are, if they really, if chickens were really brought to South America and a a handful of people are eating chickens. Well, shit, I got to rewrite the textbooks. You got to rewrite like a footnote in one of the textbooks. (laughs) Exactly. And and Ken, Ken, as the author of one of those textbooks, you would know. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the, you know, the good news is, then what I have to do is tell students all oh, that copy of the, the, the edition <laughs> of the book you have. Throw those away. You have to buy a brand new one. It's going to cost you more yeah. because we had to, you know, we had to throw away the
3: yeah, no, you are actually incentivized financially to want to change the textbooks because you get more money on and the a only yearly way, basis. yeah the, I mean, and like hey, look, and the thing I'm about to say, I'm you may think I'm sounding funny, but I'm actually being serious. The only way this makes sense is literally if there is a global conspiracy of that that frankly has to be kind of supernatural. And honestly, as I tell my students, if I was part of that, the clothing I'm wearing while I'm teaching you would be better. <laughs>
1: right. Exactly. Yes. I if I'm, sitting here,
3: if I'm sitting here in, 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 in stuff from Coles and Old Navy uh, or pennies. I'm clearly not part of the Illuminati conspiracy. OK, kids? Well,
1: I've, I've actually gotten emails from people. This is basically. No offense to any of those stores. Right, right. This, 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 All that kind I've gotten of, emails, emails from folks who have seen me on you know some stupid cable show. Who actually accuse me of 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 being of of knowing the truth, but being part of the you know? We know you know more than you're saying, Fader, we just haven't figured out why. And so I guess I'm here to admit that you know me and Jeb, we're and and Sarah, we, we are part of that conspiracy. The Coles conspiracy? Uh, yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> yeah, you get you, you, if you get one of their credit cards, you get a. They always tell you always get a nice discount. So on on that particular order. <laughs>
2: Exactly. But but to be fair their prices are reasonable not not even endorsing of, Kohl's. nothing against Coles, yeah. but we want this, to endorse
3: this this podcast is not sponsored by the Coles
2: corporation now if you want to sponsor it's, us Coles i got a phone <laughs> number you can call
1: one of the things we that we talk about a lot in archaeology when, when we are trying so let's bring this back around to where we started, right, trying right, right. to distinguish from stuff, stuff that that has developed, has been independently invented yeah. and developed in situ, in place, as opposed to a technology or a practice that has moved in from the outside. And one of the things we look for archaeologically uh, is this the evolution. Most, most technologies evolve. I mean, look at you. You know, look at look at the, the the cell phone you had ten years ago, and look at the cell phone you, cell phone you have now. It and it takes a while for technologies to improve to perfect. We see that with Egyptian pyramids. Egyptians don't just start building damn pyramids; they're building mastabas, and the mastabas get stacked, and then they try at an angle that's not so good, and so they so there there are these fits of starts, these trial and error process that that denotes an in situ development. When we see something move in wholesale, complete an entire complex of things shows up more or less instantaneously. We're a hell of a lot more liable to at least consider the possibility that it came in from the outside, as opposed to well, it developed internally. And in um, fact, there's I an don't...
3: entire there's an entire literature on how things get either adopted wholesale or in parts and are incorporated into existing code. We're not going to get into that, but it's one of the things I actually deal with is. Uh, is this a thing that just because it fits nicely with the existing culture just kind of gets adopted and really transformed, or does it bring a whole kind of complex with it? And it depends on what it is and how it fits in. There is a whole – archaeologists spend a lot of time actually thinking about the issues that hyperdiffusion, et cetera, et cetera, would right. do. We actually do kind of sort of know what we're talking about.
2: Yes. Well, and I – I, I mean along that line though, something like a boat – would make a significant difference in the everyday lives of the people adopting it. Same thing with the chicken, maybe the sweet potato, because it's a good starchy to start. So the things that we are talking about are things that would have radically changed, yeah. could potentially no, have radically changed the life around if, of the culture. If
3: Polynesians showed up a place, I'm like, well, did their boats change? Because that would be my very question. I mean, that would be one of the things And that's, that would expire.
2: And that's the thing that we're, that is the thing that I have not heard associated with any of these. I have not read about and then we see X and we see a culture shift or we see a subsistence shift or any of these things. I have not seen anything that is supportive of that statement. Right so, they,
1: they, they seem seem to be one offs. Just one thing shows up.
2: Well, but it but something as significant as a chicken. I mean, to go back to what Jeb had said, you know, is or I think Ken asked this, could the chicken have become a major part of the subsistence pattern in 30 years i say hell yeah i mean look at it it craps out eggs on a daily basis and then when it stops crapping out eggs you can eat it i mean yeah that's going to become a major source of protein
3: if you if and and there are there are examples and on the one hand there are things that don't work that way on the other hand pigs became part of the subsistence pattern very quickly In in Meso and South America very, very quickly. And there were while there were peccaries, it's that was not it. And they just adopted pigs because they were really useful. Yeah. Boats. So, I mean, the the plank boat thing, like, I don't know what to think about it, but it's certainly the sort of thing that I'm like, okay these people show up in these boats. What's the thing you're going to copy from them? These boats, like that, actually makes sense to me. Whereas right. usually, what we're dealing with hyper diffusion, it's like, oh, and then we copied like a deep mystical concept. Well, oh, did like, you take no. their iron? Why would did you? You, take, did you? Did you take their pottery? No, but we took that. Well, right. right. That's what the person cares. And about.
2: that's my it point. Is, like, good. Yeah. No, but, in
3: this case, it's just it seems again more plausible, though needs more evidence.
2: Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like the boat. Right. To me, what we've talked about today, and with the lack of commentary on giant ships. In social and economic patterns of these these people at the times that this is supposedly happening, um it seems to me that this is an outcropping of the of the indigenous culture that's already there. This is an independent invention. Somebody went, "Oh, look, I can sew planks together and I have a boat. Isn't that a lot easier than spending a week?" digging out this other this log so that we have and that's also plausible also they're probably lighter because you're not dealing with an entire piece solid one piece of wood i mean you can make them thinner i would imagine i mean there's a lot of reasons to move to something like a sewn plank boat and the technology to do so was available in all of these cultures that have sewn plank boats so the fact that we don't see a giant shift, like we do see with other technology, like Ken, you were talking about with your bowls, um, sure. the soapstone bowls, they basically go completely, they, they stop manufacturing them altogether, almost, when they get pottery. Sure. Right. Exactly. So it's like, that's something that is noticeable. if. If they had never had a plank boat before, this plank boat comes over and people are like, oh, here's some chickens. We'll take your sweet potatoes. And by the way, let's teach you how to make this boat. I would think that we'd see a major substance shift because now we've got chickens and that are much easier to take care of and a much easier protein source to get hold of. And you think you would see a shift into these boats because they might be a little like technologically more advanced, but they're still a better design, I would think overall, or at least just different. But we don't see that.
3: Well, and and so the chickens thing doesn't work for genetics. The 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 chickens the, thing
2: does not work because of genetics. No.
3: Yeah, yeah. The sweet potato, maybe. 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 The boats, maybe. Maybe. But they also could be independent invention. And the sweet potato. I mean, there really are mechanisms for discussing discussing other kinds of these things moving around. But if there's a large agricultural complex, it's not impossible. This is where there's. There are multiple plausible hypotheses and it starts to come down to evidence. And I think that's, again, why we're getting more into specifics mm-hmm. here than we often do.
2: Right. right. And, I mean, I'm going to go out there and say I don't think there was contact, which I think opens up a much more interesting question of we know that there could have been contact. So why wasn't there? What was preventing them?
3: Aliens. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes.
2: so, and, and I think that's an interesting angle to look at as well. As close as they were and as guild as they were, why were these cultures not interacting with each other? You know? For
3: for, for me, it's one of these things that I'm like, right now, uh, the evidence for it is really sketchy. But if somebody came, if somebody showed me evidence tomorrow, if somebody like showed up with a site of like ancient Romans in Minnesota, right. I'd be very friggin' skeptical. But I mean, maybe if it's really plausible, I
2: totally, whereas if
3: I'd, I'd be interested, but I'd be real damn skeptical because right. it just sure. doesn't make sense for any number of reasons. This one is like if somebody showed up with a site where like, oh, look, we've got Polynesian pottery. I'd be like, OK, this is kind of culminated. Like, right. I, I could right. see it, but right mm-hmm. now it's not there.
2: Right. Maybe. and that, right. And that's the thing. Like we sent them back with potatoes, but we didn't send them back with anything to carry
1: the potatoes in.
3: Yeah, no, it's, no. I mean, there's there's problems. There's real right. problems. This is a lot wait, wait, wait. closer than some of the things we talk about.
1: Right. So wait a minute. So the Polynesians land on the coast of South America. They go back to Fiji, and all they have are T-shirts that say, "I went to South America," and all I got was this yes. lousy T-shirt. Basically, it's, it's yeah. It's yeah. just and maybe it was. Tourists. Maybe it was. I, when I was uh, this is uh, this is kind of a related issue. When I was an undergraduate, uh, Jeb, you'll probably recognize this guy's name, Pedro Armias. He no. was a Mesoamericanist years ago. I,
3: I don't, actually.
1: Right, really sweet, sweet guy. And he was talking about independent invention versus diffusion. And he said that, generally speaking, when a, when a culture, the recipient of diffused ideas, when they receive, when they actually embrace a new, a new idea, a new technology, they only are able to do so when they could have invented it on their own anyway, and they right. were at a point where they would have. Exactly. So, you know, so it's like if you drop a bunch of of iPhones in um, a traditional village in South America, they're not going to be pumping out iPhones next week. Right. Yeah, that gets back. Um, to,
3: it gets. It gets back to that literature of what once it gets adopted and how it gets adopted. Yeah. Right. right.
1: Which, again, is something we really do. This isn't something we're hiding. It's not something that we are trying to keep, conspiratorially keep under the cover. We do think about this, and we know what the data, we know what evidence should be there if this happened. In the case of the, uh, 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 especially in the case of the sweet potatoes and the plant boats, it's, we're not there yet, but we're not throwing it out. Right, right, right. You know, that's really interesting. We would like more evidence. As
2: skeptical, as I've stated that I am about it. It's possible. And it's yeah. there, and like Ken said, if you can give me, I'm not against the idea. And if there was more to it, I would totally be like, "Yep, they they brought plate floats and took potatoes." I, but
3: it could also just be independent invention. Like it, it could. also just could it be could. wrong. Like yeah. we are in a place where it's hard to say
1: exactly. And I think and that's we have the to point. be. And as in science, you know what? We have to be comfortable very yeah. often saying we don't know. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah. I, I, my final thought on this. My final thought on this is. Uh, I can't remember if I've told this story, but if I have, it's still a good story. Uh, when, when I was in graduate school, I, we had to take oral examinations where you were basically quizzed on, in our case, anything in our field, anything for me in Mesoamerica or anything in archeology. span So it was broad and it was quizzed by three professors. So it was basically a panel of experts asking you, basically figuring out if you know what you're talking about. And one of mine, Dan Helan, Uh, who's now retired from Tulane, he would not, behind every question, but behind a lot of the questions go, are you sure about that? (laughs) Now, we colloquially in English use that as basically a polite way of saying, I think you're wrong. Right. Right. But he was doing that to me because he knew that my intention was, and I already was doing it to some degree, was to stand in front of people and talk with some element of authority about what I thought I knew. And I better be damn comfortable when I don't know what I'm talking about to admit it. And right. if you're not, you're not ready to do it. I mean, it's it's not quite like a Yoda on Dagobah sort of thing, but there's an element of you need to get in a mental space where you are humble enough to be able to actually say, I, I don't, don't know.
1: know. Right.
2: My favorite exactly. one is I'll look that up and get back to you.
1: Right. That's, that's as a long good as you're answer not looking it up on Wikipedia,
2: we're fine. But is there something wrong with Wikipedia? Damn it, my paper's all wrong. Oh my God. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you very much. It's been a good episode. Awesome. And I will talk it's to you all later. All
1: right, thank you. Thank you.
2: Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it our music was provided by archaeo productions if you like what you've heard please subscribe and rate us on itunes or stitcher and share us wherever you use social media you can contact us with your questions comments or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com you can follow the podcast at com slash you can follow the blog at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on tumblr and twitter at Archie Fantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at www.archeologypodcastnetwork.com slash Fantasies. Thanks again for listening.
1: No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do
0: dinosaurs. We don't do dinosaurs. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and edited by Chris Sims.
1: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.